0: Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 207 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, September 29th, 2021. And obviously, it is a big week. It is a big week on what has seemingly become a national scale. You have media outlets, big and small, sports and news, focusing in on Sunday night's game between the New England Patriots and the Tom Brady, and there you go. Perhaps the greatest slip of all time, the New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it does feel like it is the New England Patriots against Tom Brady. And I'm going to take some time today and sort of talk about this game, in a couple of different ways. Before we dive into that, your usual cavalcade of announcements. Please do follow along with the hijinks on the Stakem app, at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Follow along with the work, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, right here at Pat's Pulpit, Blogging the Boys, footballguys.com. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy, I'm all over the place, but busy is good. Busy is good. But let's start with Tom Brady. And I don't want to delve into the Belichick versus Brady stuff, the way it all ended and all of that. Those of you that have followed along for years know that I try to keep things sort of between the white lines as much as humanly possible, right? If, if you want to delve into the divorce, if you want to delve into the Brady Belichick stuff, if you want to delve into the Seth Wickersham stuff that's coming out, you know where you could find that stuff. That That's not this show. That's not me. But I do want to talk about Tom Brady. And as I've pointed out thousands of times over the past couple of years, as somebody that studied him first as a fan now as an analyst as somebody that is seven months older than this guy I I feel like I've got this like weird Brady mind melt right I remember when the Buccaneers signed him and I wrote at USA Today he's good enough to win a Super Bowl and I remember a lot of people saying you're an idiot I I just have this weird sort of vision into how this man thinks And, and and it started it started early in a sense, you know, I can trace 22 years or so of my life through Tom Brady. I remember where I was when Brady went into the lineup, when Bledsoe went down, it was my final year of law school. And that season, that year of my life, 2001 to 2002, was in many ways a very tumultuous one, right? Right. Like this nation, we all sort of, the world, we all went through a lot that year. You know, I'm facing an uncertain future and sometimes the beauty of sports is that it gives us something as an anchor to hold on to, or perhaps more accurately, a bit of driftwood to hold on to when we're sort of floating through uncertain times. And that Patriots season, the rise of Tom Brady, that first Super Bowl was by and large for me, that piece of driftwood, as I clung to the uncertain future of the post 9-11 world as a newly minted lawyer out of law school without a job lined up. You know, I was staring that down in the face. I had interviews for firms that didn't have offices anymore after 9-11. I didn't have physical offices anymore. And there were two anchors in my life. There was the Patriots and Brady in that run. And there was the woman that I was dating at the time who's now my wife. And that playoff run, the Raiders game in the snow, the AFC championship game, the Super Bowl itself, you know, Rochelle was by my side for that. And then you start to trace brady through the rest of my life and my kids wearing brady jerseys home from the hospital after they were born and you know this is a, a quarterback in a team that was an anchor or that bit of driftwood for me that first super bowl year during other super bowl runs even the you know the second super bowl run against the giants you know i was going through some tough times personally mentally practicing law, trying to piece life together. But yet you have that anchor of that sports team, that that ability to escape from it for a couple of hours on Sunday and a couple of hours each week as you're consuming content and reading stories and listening to podcasts and news shows. I mean, I remember, you know, it's a wonder my Verizon bills weren't bigger, but during that run every morning on the walk to work, which I've often described – when i was practicing law downtown and living downtown the walk to work and the elevator ride up to my office each morning as the most painful and brutal like 25 minutes of my day but i would stream 985 i would stream eei just to listen to patriots coverage again that bit of driftwood and that driftwood drifted away from us right Brady's now in Tampa Bay. Brady's moved on. And it can't, it doesn't, it will never erase the 20 years. It will never erase the six titles. It will never erase those moments. But it never ends well. And we knew this day was coming, right? And this day was foreshadowed by Tom Brady Sr., who said years ago, it, it doesn't end well. It never ends well. It rarely ends well. Every week, Matt Waldman and I do a show together uh, called the RSP Quick Game. And I get to do so many cool things in this industry. The the, the QB Factory reboot with Rachel Provet has become one of my favorite things to do each week. Doing this show with Matt is one of my favorite things to do each week as well. Interestingly enough, I get to do both on Tuesday. So Tuesday is a very cool day to be Uncle Mark. Because I get to do the show with Rachelle in the morning, do the show with Matt in the afternoon. Then I get to coach baseball. Tuesday is a pretty cool day to be Uncle Mark. Honestly, every day is a kind of nice day to be me. I'm extremely lucky. In this week's show, Matt and I talked about the competitor at the end. And the focus of that discussion was on Ben Roethlisberger, because if you've watched the Steelers right now, if you've watched Ben Roethlisberger right now, you know he's done. And Stephen Rees over at the Reiner put together an incredible video montage of some just spectacularly bad moments. From their loss to the Bengals and he put it to black and white and he said it's like, sort of like old-timey saloon music. And it's just fantastic. It's a fantastic bit of content. But you don't need that video to see that Roethlisberger's done. You need to just watch the game against the Raiders where on fourth down, he's got stick, five-yard out route to the outside from the middle receiver in the trips. He doesn't feel like he can throw it. That's a quarterback that's at the end. And Matt and I sort of talked about the beauty of the fighter at the end of his career. And Matt talked about how you hear sometimes that, you know, oh, it's a shame that they went out that way. And oh, it's horrible to see. There's a beauty in the end. There's a beauty to see an athlete, a competitor, somebody that knows that the days are numbered still fighting against that. And maybe there are moments and there will be plays and there will be montages that illustrate the difficulty. But there is that inherent beauty of seeing somebody push back against the end. Competitors do that. And so the day was inevitably going to come that Tom Brady was going to continue to push back against the end, continue to push back against people like me who in his final Super Bowl run said, I don't know if this team can throw the ball well enough to win. And then Brady goes out and proves us wrong. But the end always comes. Father Time always wins. And the organization, the New England Patriots, had to prepare for that day. And so the end, the breakup, was always going to come. And it came. And now we move on. And so while we can never ignore and we will never ignore and forget the six titles... The fact of the matter is this day was going to come. The divorce, the breakup, whatever you want to call it, was going to come. And now, as running backs coach Ivan Fears said this week so eloquently, now that SOB is the enemy. So we can honor him pregame. We can give him a ceremony pregame. Part of me wants to see him come out to Jay-Z, run out of the tunnel, fist pump, get the ovation, pregame ceremony – but once this ball is kicked off, that SOB is the enemy. And this team needs to beat him. How to do that? That's next, here on episode 207 of the SCO Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 207 of the SCO Show. And having tried and perhaps failed epically to wax a little poetically about Tom Brady, let's, let's talk about this game. Um, because there is a football game to be played. And I know a lot of the discussion this week has been on the Patriots offense and Mac Jones and how the offense hasn't lived up to some expectations and how do they get the tight ends involved and all that stuff. I want to focus on Tom Brady, the Buccaneers offense, and the ways that I think Bill Belichick will try to attack Tom Brady in a sense. And, and let's talk about this offense in Tampa Bay with Brady. Because that was one of the more intriguing components to the move by Tom Brady to sign with the Buccaneers. And it was one of the reasons why I thought Brady was going to Tampa Bay if he left New England, right? The idea that Bruce Arians is a vertical-based offensive mind, that Byron Leftwich in his offensive philosophy has taken on that vertical nature, and that Tom Brady having spent 20 years of being called a system quarterback And a guy with a noodle arm wanted to yet again prove to the doubters, even after 20 years and six Super Bowl titles, that he could go do something different, which is why he went to Tampa Bay. Now that offense did take some time to come together. And adjustments were made. And it's interesting, I was having this discussion with John Ledyard. And again, little plug, John and I, if you are looking for a way to watch this game, Put the TV on mute. Tune to pewterreport.com because John and I are doing this game play-by-play style Sunday night. The entire game. I did it for the first half with John of the Thursday night opener. And it was so much fun that we're doing the entire game. Live analysis, breakdowns, fun stuff, lots of Celsius. It'll be a rollicking good time. So look for that Sunday night. But I was talking with John about the Buccaneers' offense right now, because Bill Belichick said that the offense that he is running right now, that Brady is running right now in Tampa Bay, looks very much like the old Patriots' offense. And there are certainly some elements of the Patriots' playbook in there, two in particular. You could see it. It took me 20 seconds to find a clip of Brady this season running juke It's there. Now, a lot of teams run it. A lot of teams have it. You know, you've got elements in the Jets' offense of Zach Wilson running it, other offenses of other quarterbacks running it. So it's not a surprise that the Buccaneers are running it with Tom Brady. But we know that's a system, a, a concept, a design that Brady is intimately familiar with. There's also the play-action, trap-pass, crosser to the tight end. That's a part of their offense now. They started working in last year – And you're seeing it again this year as well. That's something that they're doing. Tom Brady's ability to snap his eyes and his head around coming out of play action fakes and his uncanny knowledge of where exactly to look is incredible. You know, because with the benefits of a pause and a rewind and a slow motion button and all that stuff, you can see... Brady come into and out of play fakes and know, okay, I can look at this backside corner or this frontside corner and see his feet and know exactly, okay, they are in man coverage or they are in zone coverage or they're doing X, Y, and Z schematically and I could snap my eyes then to my target, usually the tight end, usually Gronkowski, and hit that throw. So there are elements of that Patriots offense in Tampa Bay system. There are also Arians' designs Nine eight nine nine six nine. Some of the vertical stuff, some of the you know the four verts and things like that. That yes, the Patriots may have had in a Brady playbook, but didn't call as often. That Brady's running a ton of, you know, nine eight nine nine six nine, middle read stuff like that, where you've got the outside verticals and you've got that inside route that will adjust depending on coverage and things like that. The touchdown pass to um, Antonio Brown, Week One, Thursday Night Opener that came on that design. There's also a lot of level stuff. Arians loves flood levels with a backside crosser or post or vert. And so you get sort of a blend of the vertical stuff as well as some level design, you know, three-level read stuff in this offense. You're also seeing some Shanahan stuff get mixed in. Two concepts in particular, both run back. Play action, usually a max protect, two-receiver concept. Each receiver pushes vertically, then breaks back and, quote, runs back towards you on this, like, deep curl. You're also seeing drift. Another Shanahan concept, condensed formation, play action, receiver from that condensed alignment, runs a deep in, dig, 10 to 12 routes, 10 to 12 yards downfield or so. They hit that to Godwin this weekend. Or excuse me, that was actually the play I'm thinking of was against Atlanta. And so you're seeing this blend of offenses come together in a playbook for Tom Brady. It's not fully a vertical system, although there are some vertical elements to it. And we know Arians, that's where he's rooted. That's where he's comfortable. That's where left which is comfortable. But there are also plays from other schools of thought that are working their way into this offense. And that's the stuff that the Patriots have to get ready for. The nastiest thing that they do is, I mentioned the sort of trap pass, right? Play action, you're pulling somebody. Brady's talked about it a ton. Gronk has talked about it a ton. Play action off of a duo look. Duo, you know, power without the pullers, the two double-team blocks, that puts so much stress on the linebackers. I actually remember talking about that with Ben Solak this summer. He was kind enough to have me on his podcast before he made the move to the Rinner, which we absolutely love to see. Ben dropped a piece today on Matt Nagy, Justin Fields, which is incredible, like we expect from Ben. He's brilliant. But Ben and, and Nate Tice, who's also brilliant, subscribe to his Substack. He also mentioned how that duo play-action look is so hard for the linebackers because you're trying to figure out run-fit stuff on the fly. And, oh, by the way, he's pulling and throwing behind you. So there's a lot to get ready for. There's a lot conceptually to get ready for, both in the play-action game and the downfield pass game. How do you stop it? How do you stop Tom Brady? We know the easy book, blueprint, whatever you want to call it, pressure with four, pressure in the A-gaps. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's like football writer crutch 101. You know, you get pressure with four, you pressure Tom Brady through the interior, you force him off spot, you're dropping seven, so you've got numbers in the secondary, yada, yada, yada. The story writes itself, push send, you're done for the day, go play Stardew Valley. But it's easier said than done. And this is a very good offensive line, for the most part, that they're going up against. An offensive line that's done a pretty good job of protecting Tom Brady. Now, I think you're going to see some interior stunts, some blitz packages and things like that to try to manufacture that pressure. I don't know if New England's just going to get pressure with four, which means what do you do in the secondary? And I think you're going to see a lot of the sort of Rex Ryan idea, right? Take away the stuff in the middle of the field, right? Take away the stuff in the middle of the field and force Tom Brady to beat you outside and deep. Now, the part of the problem in that situation is He's been doing some of that stuff recently. His ability to push the ball downfield, his ability to attack to the outside, while never really a strength of his game, you could say he's gotten better at it in this offense under Arians and Leftwich. But you have to pick your poison with Tom Brady. And I think if push comes to shove, if you get Brady to eat a, you know, a loaf of bread and he's going to open up and be honest he'd rather he'd probably tell you I'd rather throw between the numbers between the hash marks you know i think most quarterbacks feel comfortable attacking that area of the field things get a little bit risky when you push it downfield things get a little bit risky when you try to push it to the sideline but i think that's what you have to do now we obviously don't want a spot drop against Tom Brady but i think You're going to have to pick some opportunities to go drop eight coverage on him, really constrict that stuff underneath. Yeah, you're giving him a long time to throw, but you're not too worried about him running against you. You're not too worried about him escaping the pocket and picking up stuff with his legs. He might buy some time. But I think you have to force Brady to throw into some tighter windows downfield, particularly to the outside and deep. And maybe he, he doesn't want to, or, or at least the windows are tight enough where you have a chance to make plays on ball or body. But as we know, predicting a Bill Belichick game plan is often fool's a fool's errand. You're chasing fool's gold. Because Belichick will zig when you expect him to zag. We know that Belichick has an intimate understanding of what Brady likes and doesn't like. The two were tied at the hip for most of their time together or all their time together. You listen to Dean Pease on Coach Vass' brilliant podcast. Talks about how when he was in New England, Belichick spent maybe 20 minutes or so each week with the defense. Most of the time, he was in Tom Brady's ear saying, this is what the defense is going to try to do to you this week. This is what they'll do on this call. This is what they'll do on this call. If ever there was a time for Belichick's sort of defensive genius to play a massive role in the game— it's this week against a quarterback he knows inside and out. Perhaps better than anyone. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how he plays them. That's how I would do it. Try some interior blitzes. You know, the pressure with fourth and yeah, obviously, if you can do that, fantastic. But assuming you can't, some interior pressure stuff, some coverage is to take away the areas of the field where Brady perhaps feels most comfortable throwing. force him to make some scholarship throws. And if he makes him, great. Look, he's arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. He might. But you want to make him make those throws and show that he can do it on a Sunday night coming home in what will be a, a, an incredible environment. So those are my thoughts on this game. If you want to hear more of them, Tune in Sunday night to Pewter Report where John Ledyard and I break this game down. I will be back Monday afternoon breaking this game down after it happens. Hopefully, it's a glorious victory episode. It might not be. But until then, friends, stay safe. Check in on your loved ones, check in on your neighbors, wash your hands. And what do you do? Sin along. Bless those Patriots rankings. Not it